Welcome back to the Between the Levees podcast. I'm joined today by the Chief Operating Officer of MG Transport, Terrence Gomez. There's a whole lot more to him than I know. I've only met him in person maybe two or three times, but he's got a reputation. I want to know some more. Terrence, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tim. Well, if you've seen the show, you know how this begins. Tell me, where did it all start for you? Oh, back in 1960. That's when I was born in 1960, you know. In a small town of Luling, Louisiana, in St. Charles Parish. Uh, actually, grew up about one block away from the from the Mississippi River. Did you have family involved in the river uh, industry? No, I didn't. I'm I'm first at, uh, first generation. My 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 father uh, was a teacher at Hornville High School. Uh, and went on to be the superintendent of, of education in St. Charles Parish many, many years later. <clears throat> and my mother was a kindergarten teacher. So I was brought up by two educators and uh, got four other brothers. So there's a total of five of us, all boys. Uh, and I'm number four out of five. So I got three older, three older brothers and one younger. Yeah, but good, good times back then. Well, what was life growing up in Luling back in the sixties? In <laughs> it was, it was, it was really good. You know, you look, you look at today's uh, world. Um, you know, compared to how we had it back in the in the sixties, and <clears throat> had uh, my father's brother lived a couple houses away on the same block. And he had four siblings in that family, three boys and a girl. So we had a pretty big group of us, all similar ages from the oldest down to the youngest. And <clears throat> excuse me, we, we hung out together a lot and uh, spent a lot of time behind the levee. <laughs> I know a couple of guys from that side of the world. There's actually a story I heard of they were climbing the Luling Bridge as it was being built or something. Were you getting into antics like that? Well, uh, actually, when they were building the Luling Bridge, I was living on Ashton Road, which is that first road, uh, uh, or the last road coming out of Luling going toward Hornville. And uh, actually, I got pictures from the time they started laying the cement piles and they started hanging the steel. And I had a blue Schwinn English racer. Uh, and at that time I was working for, for Agritrans on the river. We'll, we'll talk about that. But almost every afternoon when I'd get home from work, I'd pedal my, my uh, English racer up to the top where the concrete ended because they hadn't had put the steel across the river yet. And I'd just fly right down the bridge. Uh, I did that many, many times. So yeah, I, I, I witnessed the uh, the building of that bridge uh, firsthand and right there out my front door. Yeah, I can only imagine doing that. I used to ride down the hill in Lafreniere Park, but that was nowhere near uh, that experience. Yeah, but uh, yeah. nonetheless, so both parents are educators. Were you drawn to anything in school, grade school, high school, all the way, I assume, through college? Not really. Uh, I would get school during the day and I'd get school in the afternoons and at night and uh, you know, when I, 
uh, even up up through high school. When I graduated high school, my uh, three older brothers were all at LSU. Uh, and my dad told me, he said, well, you know, if you're not going to go to college, then you, you're going to have to move out. Uh, so basically, that's what I did. Um, of course, he wasn't serious when he said I'd have to move out, but I was uh, I'd spent a lot of time with my brothers at LSU and decided I didn't I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make some money. Uh, uh, of course, back then, they, you know, no one really, really had a whole lot of money. Right. So uh, I just wanted to go to work and make money. And what and, led you what led you into the marine industry from there? When I, when I first got out of high school, I was working for a, a contract at Monsanto, uh, working in a chlorine unit. <clears throat> and I, I did that, I don't know, for two or three months. And uh, one of my friends said, hey, we, you know, if you want to work on a river, you could, you could make a dollar more an hour than you make it here. So that's what I did. I went, I went and uh, got a job at Kennebunk Fleet. Uh, working for a company uh, uh, called Agritrans. You know, when I first got there, I thought it was it was uh, it was really hard work, right? Building, breaking tow, decking, uh, washing barges. We 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 kind of did it all. We had a uh, about a twelve man crew that 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 built tow, basically built tow and broke tow every day uh, from the line haul boats that came out of St. Louis. <clears throat> And they, uh, it was hard work. Uh, and it was, God, for, you know, for a couple months, it was like, man, did I make the right decision or not? Because it uh, wasn't really a big career path. And But thing, things changed. I, I got some responsibility of, of uh, leading a group of the guys that's uh, doing the tow building and tow breaking and barge cleaning and so it sort of all kind of fell into place. Uh, when I first when I first went there, I had no idea that this was going to be my career. Right now, this is back in uh, 1978. So, you know, growing up on the river, you know, boats and barges, uh, particularly on the boat side. You live in Louisiana. You you're in a boat, right? So I always liked the water. Always liked being on boats. And uh, not so much building and breaking toe, but because uh, that, and, and you know, I'm not talking about uh, six barge toes here, and you know, with, with 15 sets of rigging. I'm talking 30, 40, uh, sometimes 56 uh, uh, barges northbound. That's 300 plus sets, right? And back in those days, uh, there wasn't winches and all of that that good stuff. That you know, all that rigging was, was hand delivered, right? Whether it's up on, up to an empty or down to a load. But uh, th those were some pretty good days. I learned a lot, learned a lot, a lot of uh, fortunate enough to, to uh, work for a lot of really talented uh, people. Can you paint a picture of the barge industry in the greater New Orleans area back in 78, early 80s, when you kind of started realizing that it was a little bigger than Kenner Ben Fleet? Yeah, it, it, you know, Kennebunk Agritrans was, um, you know, back then the barge lines, they all had their own fleets. They all did their own kind of thing, right? 
And, you know, I knew grain and I knew fertilizer because that's all we did. Uh, and for the eight years I was with them, that's all we did was our own internal uh, work. Very, very few out, uh, outside barges, if you will, you know, unlike it is today at, say, at Convent, right? You need a little about, you know, a little bit of everybody with the stevedoring rigs and, and such. Um, but you maintained your own equipment. I kind of thought it was like that everywhere. You know, it wasn't until I went and went to, to work with Elmwood and Memco that I, you know, I saw the rest of the world, right, for his uh, inland marine transportation. Was Memco your next step after Kenner <clears throat> Ben Fleet? Yeah, from Kenner Ben. Uh, at the time, I think it was in 80, 85, 83, 84, maybe 85, uh, Jimmy Carter had put the uh, grain embargo on, on, uh, on, on Russia and basically just shut down the whole inland river system. So most any, anybody who had a, uh, worked as a deckhand or a tow builder, everyone basically just lost their jobs because uh, there wasn't anything, anything moving. So it was, uh, I don't know, three or four month period that I was, I was unemployed, right? And uh, a couple of small children and what do you do, okay? And fortunately uh, enough, uh, uh, Chris Parsonage, uh, he and his father who owned Memco Barge Line, Line also owned uh, Elmwood uh, Marine Services. So they, they, uh, at the time, that was I was lucky to get get hired on because there's a lot of mariners out there out of work. But you look at the, you know, and that since the grain embargo, it, it, you know, we've seen a lot of peaks and valleys in our business, right? And and, and you've been in it long enough to see when things are good and things are bad. Uh, more down years than good years, I can tell you that. But back in the, the late seventies, early early eighties, it was just it was just gangbuster, right? I mean, everybody was just making a lot of money, and and that uh, that kind of changed the thinking in the industry forever. If you ask me, you saw a lot of consolidation. Uh, you saw um, Artco take over all Agritrans's equipment because both both uh, ADM and Agritrans were part of this same uh, grain cooperative, right? So that's why they, they consolidated. But uh, yeah, learned a lot. Had your job changed in those eight years or were you doing the same thing from when you started? No, when I, I first went there, I was, like I said, I was building tow, doing fleet maintenance, washing barges. Uh, then it went on to, I went into the barge maintenance side. Uh, then I went into a, uh, uh, a supervision role and, you know, at the end of it, uh, I was the, uh, the fleet manager at, at Kennebent Fleet. So I had worked my way all the way up from, uh, cleaning barges to, uh, to port captain and, uh, managing the, the entire fleet and all the dispatch and logistics and barge maintenance so yeah i had i had made it to the top right how many boats and barges did you have to worry about 
Well, kind of Ben, I we could hold probably around 300 barges, I guess, and we had four four fleet boats. Uh, and at the time, they had a uh, integrated tug and barge uh, that was owned by CF Industries. It was called the uh, Jamie Baxter, uh, and it would come in from Florida once a month with a shipload of fertilizer, right? So we would, uh, you know, they'd bring big grain south and we'd load fertilizer north and that's that's what we did we were we were really good at it and where did you meet the parsonages tell me about the move to memco back uh again uh and actually a person you know you know, i think you work with him now dennis vallejo uh yes, sir yes i do dennis uh i'd hired dennis on from uh, i think it was with wisconsin barge line and he came to he came and dispatched at uh kind of been fleet for a while. And uh, he was recruited by, by uh, I think it was told McDaniel and Chris uh, Parsonage to go and dispatch uh, this new company that, that Chris Parsonage had just uh, uh, got from Randy Eckstein. It was right in the riverbanks by Elmwood Business Park. And I, that's where I think the name Elmwood Marine came from because of its uh, location. But Dennis had left us uh, before we had shut down. And when we shut down, I was, you know, I stayed in contact with Dennis. We, uh, uh, I think we're both the same age. They, uh, Elmer was in the process of growing, right? They had one uh, Memco head, I don't know, maybe hard barges, no boats, and one clean and repair facility. And they were gonna, they were gonna expand. Uh, and Dennis is the one who, who actually uh, helped me get my, my foot in the door with interviews and such. And so, yeah, he, uh, he got me and in, introduced to Chris and, and, and the rest of that group is, that's, that's, that's how that happened. And when you signed up with Memco, what was your role? Actually, they hired me as a crane operator and a, a fitter welder, kind of self-taught in all three areas, right? Not long after that, we had expanded to uh, taking over the clean and repair side at Convent. Uh, back then it was owned by uh, a gentleman, uh, a lawyer by the name of um, Jimmy Stewart. So we, we, uh, we expanded into that location and that became my responsibility, that, uh, that small clean and repair yard. Not long after that, we expanded to a facility that's no longer there, but it actually was right across, almost right across the river from Valley Harmont in Paulina. It was called ITO Paulina. And, and back then the big America rig trans barge to ship transloader that Cooper owns and operates up in uh, Darrow was at that location. And we had a sub, we had a contract to do all the cleaning and repair as well. So I was responsible for, uh, for both of those, those operations. Uh, now keep in mind, this is, uh, uh, about a 27 year span I'm, I'm going to go into right now. Okay. And it, it all started in, in 87. We had convent, uh, we had, uh, we started up the new operation in ITO Paulina. Uh, Harry Brock was running the Elmwood uh, shipyard in, uh, at Elmwood. And, uh, and I remember Chris called me up one night and it was a Sunday night. 
And he said, Terrence, we're going to start cleaning and repairing barges at uh, Darrell, Louisiana. I said, that's great. When we're going to, when we're going to start? Well, I need you and a crew there tomorrow morning. <laughs> so uh, he had did a deal with Gene Dalton. We were going to turn all of our line boats. We had bought barges and at that time, Electric Fuse had purchased uh, Memco from Chris and his father. Uh, so we had a lot, of, a lot of capital behind us, right? So we were growing. We were building barges, buying towboats. Uh, uh, we had three operations, uh, clean repair operations on the river that I was responsible for. Then we uh, expanded into to Baton Rouge. Uh, and then we expanded down into IMT. So... Uh, at, at one and then at Upper St. Rose Fleet as well. So at, at one point I had six uh, clean and repair operations that I was I was responsible for. And uh, was this the, all was this all. all prior to AEP? Yes. Okay. Yes, Sorry. it was. And uh, when I guess Electric Fuse it. Uh, they kind of went a different direction, less coal, and um, had an opportunity to uh, make a few dollars. And a company by the, the name of Carolina Power and Light came in and bought us, not only bought us, but they bought part of Electric Fuse as well. They wanted the utility side, didn't want the barge end, boat side. So for about six months, we were actually owned by Carolina Power and Light. Uh, and after that is when AEP purchased Memco Barge Line from Carolina Power Light. Uh, the main reason was they, uh, AEP, of course, they, they moved a lot of uh, domestic coal just to feed their, uh, the, the power plants. And uh, they woke up one morning and, and, and figured out that they needed about 300 barges like yesterday because theirs were just falling apart. Uh, well, they went to, uh, went to put a building program together and there was no way to do it. All the shipyards were full. So they, they kind of had no choice. They had to go out and buy a barge line, mainly to move their, their own stuff. I guess that was sometime in uh, early 2000s, I guess, mid 2000s. <clears throat> but, you know, along that way, you know, just, you know, talking about Chris Parsonage, um, you know, just a real savvy guy, okay. Um, and, and really built that company from, from nothing to something. Okay. Um, always really, uh, vision driven, you know, just knew at a time, uh, when barges were getting old, operators would have to, to replace or repair a lot of the equipment. So, uh, we went out and built at our shipyard in, in Harvey. I think it was four or five dry docks. I mean, state-of-the-art dry docks. Uh, and just made a fortune with these dry docks. Uh, you know, way back when we had all of these yards, these clean repair yards, we we were the ones that were making money. Barge lines wasn't, wasn't making all that much money. We, we made the money to finance the first 400 barges that Memco uh, built uh, on the clean and repair side. So yeah, just from, uh, I was there from just about nothing to, you know, they were what the second, third biggest barge line in the country. 
uh, and it was it was a lot of fun just uh, you know surrounded by a lot of uh, really hard-working self-motivated uh, talented people right who were making money so they kept giving us money and we just we grew we uh, we acquired uh, dockside fleet uh, so we had Elmwood uh, Elmwood location we had uh, uh, dockside uh, fleet and we had uh, we had uh, already acquired convent marine as well and, and really expanded the, the footprint at convent marine with uh, Belmont fleet right so it uh, just the vision the the, the, the talented people I worked for the, the you know the people that mentored me and uh, people I surrounded myself with you know also good hard-working self-motivated uh, people because you know look in this in this industry you know there's 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 a uh, you know majority you know whether you're at the office or not whether you're on vacation whether you're off on a weekend I mean you really never off right so it's a 24/7 365 business and yeah not just had no idea this was going to turn out to be <laughs> okay uh, but but uh, I don't I don't regret a minute of it well, you mentioned Dennis Vallejo. Uh, anything interesting to share about uh, crossing paths with uh, Marty Mahoney and Joe Ward over the years? Yeah, uh, you know Marty. He he came from the Compass Dockside, uh, Eddie Conrad era, and he was he was doing dispatch for the for the Dockside fleet back then, and uh, and I think that the, the same with Joe uh, way back. You know that's that's how long ago it is, right? And and uh, yeah, to uh, you know, for example, those those are the people who uh, who I got to work with, right? And uh, I'm gonna throw out another name, someone you 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 uh, you may or may not have worked with was Vicky Kane. Um, she actually, she and Joe hired me in the, into the industry. Okay, well, it uh, you know I brought Vicky in to to Memco. Oh, uh, yes, it was, it was probably just before Katrina, I guess. She just, uh, spent a couple of years in St. Louis and came back down and, and uh, just, you know, you talk about hard work and, and, and motivated, self-motivated. Yeah, got to work with a lot of really good people. And I hope Vicki's joining, enjoying her, her retirement because she deserves it. She is surely keeping busy in that retirement. Yeah. Well, all right. So you said that was a 27 year period. Tell me what your job was. Uh, and I think you had left AEP a couple of years before I arrived, but that was my first, my first. Yeah. Gig. Yeah. What I, what I, uh, uh, it was in, I don't know, 20, I don't know, maybe 2010, something like that. 20, 2009. Um, I was always seeing everything in the golf. I was over the fleets and uh, and all the clean and repair yards. And uh, Mark Canoy came down one day and, and he said, I want you to come up to St. Louis for a couple of years and learn what everyone does on the Ohio River and 
the Upper Miss, the Illinois, and even oversee the uh, the logistics, all the dispatch, and uh, all the barge maintenance, and you know, charters, and all of that stuff. So, <clears throat> and that was all part of the succession uh, planning, right? Uh, shared. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, it was a lot of job sharing going on just to bring, uh, you know, how many people you can, you can get to, to know a little bit about everything, right? It's, it's just a advantage AEP. And we did a lot of that. So I went up to uh, St. Louis, spent two years up there leading the logistics group and, and barge maintenance and all that all that fun stuff. And right right at the end is when Mark had, had left AP and went to ACBL. So it wasn't long after, <clears throat> excuse me, after that, that uh, Keith Dolan, who was the president, interim president at the time after Mark left, he, he, he uh, sent me back to Louisiana to oversee the uh, fleets and all of that stuff. Uh, because Jeff had left and went to ACBL as well. So I guess about uh, six months uh, after moving back home and, and uh, getting back into the, to the, to the groove of uh, everything, you know, Baton Rouge South, right? Uh, Jack Lardo uh, called and, and asked me if I was interested in coming, uh, coming run his great little barge line. And I said, well, we'll, you know, let's talk. Absolutely. I, uh, but he made me an offer to, uh, to come and work for MG actually in, in July, that would be 10 years ago. Right. Just doesn't, doesn't seem like that. And when your parents say, look, the older you get, the more time flies, they, they wasn't kidding. Right. And particularly in this business, because it, uh, you live it and you breathe it and you eat it every day. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been here, uh, came in here as a, uh, executive vice president of operations and, uh, two years ago, they promoted me to the chief operating officer. Um, it's a, it's a small barge line. It is pretty, pretty cool little barge line. We've got a little over 300 barges, uh, four boats, uh, and total of 16 employees. Most of what I've seen with MG was when I was dispatching Tiger Fleet for ACBL, and y'all would come in with six packs of, uh, or empty six packs, and take Petco back down. Yeah. Uh, is that one of the, the mainstays of the company, right? How, how far dispersed are your boats and barges? Yeah, we, our main business is moving petroleum coke from the refineries uh, down to UBT or IMT or Impala. Right, those are your three export terminals. But that's that's what we do, uh, and we move all the tons from uh, the Baton Rouge refinery, uh, the Marathon refinery, uh, the Valero refinery, and also the PBF refinery in Chalmette. That's uh, and it's all Baton Rouge South, right? We go out to Lake Charles when we when we have to, a little bit of Houston, but um, you know, 90% of our business is Baton Rouge, uh, down to the hole, right? 
do you uh do you have retirement on the mind yet i i do uh <laughs> i i've been at it for 45 years right um you know i really like what i do um got a great group of people uh, here in the office um I'm, I'm not going to work. Let's say I don't plan on working until my seventies. Okay. So I'm, I'm thinking, um, three, four more years. Probably I'm thinking four more years, max. Uh, hopefully still, you know, young enough to go out and do some things, right. Play a little golf and, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do think about it, you know, and I hear a lot of people, I'm, you know, I'm going to retire as soon as I can and all of this stuff. And, um, you know, something I, something I think about and when I, I, I spoke to Mark, Mark Canoy a, a couple of weeks back, um, you know, the role that I'm in and the role that he's, he's been in and, and, and a lot of the leaders and the, the, the business are in is, every waking hour, right, is, is, it says something to do with work or you're thinking about work or, um, you know, what do you do when you retire? You know, what do you do? You, you, you know, being so involved uh, every day of your life uh, for this long, for this many years, right? It, it, you just, I don't know how it's possible to, you know, just turn it off like a light switch, right? I like to golf. I like to fish. I don't want to do that every day. And I was, I was talking to Mark's wife, Mary, and I, and I asked her, I said, because uh, it's been about a year, a little over a year, I think, he's, since he's been retired. And I asked her, how did, how did, how's Mark, well, I think it's a little more than that, but I said, how did Mark, how did he do that? You know, just leave. Right, just turn off the switch and walk out the room. You know, mic drop. She said he was like a cage bull for about a year. So, uh, and I think that was around COVID time as well, right? So he didn't he didn't have a whole lot of options to get out and do a whole lot of things. But I can only imagine it. It, it uh, and I think about that now. Right, what am I going to do? What's, you know. I have to pick something up. Or am I going to consult? Right. Uh, but that's still, you know, Tim, that's still years down the road. But uh, I am, I am thinking about the next chapter, right? And, and after you've been in this business for 45 years and uh, being, a, you know, a big part of it in, in, in strategy and growing companies and um, yeah, how, how do you really, you know, do you really just walk away and drop? I, I don't know if that's possible, right? Three or four years, I'm thinking that right now, not into my seventies, but who knows, bud. <laughs> uh, actually, I forgot to uh, tell me where you, uh, where your, your paths intersected with old Mark Zarnicky. Well, Zarnicky, um, you know, when, when they moved me from St. Louis back to Louisiana, 
uh, you know, I was working for Mark Stoppel, uh, you know, another, uh, just a, just a fine person and a great, uh, great person to work with. Right. Uh, and the, look, there, there was many of them because I'm, I'm telling you the group we had at, at Memco was just, uh, it was second to none. It, it really was. And, and back at, back then in the Memco days when Mark was dispatching, you know, I was overseeing everything in the Gulf. And so I was up in St. Louis probably once a month, meetings, um, just a lot of customers back in the day. Um, you know, with all these cleaning repair facilities, every single barge line in the country was my customer. Because we got, we got work from every single barge line in the country. So I, I'd spent a lot of time traveling to St. Louis, visiting with all my customers. Uh, at the same time, while I'm in St. Louis, I'm at the main office, I'm meeting with uh, uh, all the folks up there, right? And, and Mark was one of them. Uh, played a lot of uh, golf with Mark. Did a lot of fun, fun things with a lot of people up in St. Louis, you know, way back in the the late 80s and particularly all the, all of the 90s, right, is where we really grew as a company. <clears throat> and um, when I left, when I left AEP to come to MG, what Mark Stipe, what uh, Mark Stoppel did was tell Zonicky, hey, you got to go down to golf. Terrence is leaving. We need a, you're going to be the new face of AEP in the golf. So um, they transferred Mark uh, down here. And I guess it was a, a year or two later. Uh, we were looking for a, a salesperson to, to, to train and take Paul Woods' spot, who was the executive vice president of sales. Um, so we put our heads together, threw some names around, and brought Mark in and, and hired him. Uh, again, I've been knowing Mark for 20 something years, almost 30 years. So he, he accepted the job, brought him in today. He's the executive vice president of sales for MG. And I've been trying to line him up on this thing for months now. Maybe this'll, this'll push him over the edge. Right, so <laughs> well, he's right next door. I can make sure that happens. Well, I hope so. <laughs> Hold on. We, uh, you mentioned it briefly. You said you had uh, young kids in the mid '80s. Is that correct? Yes. Did it, is anybody follow yes. into the industry for a second generation? Uh, no, they no they didn't. Uh, I got two girls. Uh, well, one of them did. My son, um, little T, he, uh, uh, real big, you know, athletic guy, uh, freshman. Uh, playing on varsity, Hornville High School, and sophomore uh, playing linebacker, uh, blew out his ACL. Uh, following year as a junior, uh, now he's, uh, you know, he had, uh, you know, just he had a letter from just about every college in the country to go go play you know, football. His junior year, he blew out uh, his other ACL. Senior year, he blew out the first one that they repaired. 
So we had three blown ACLs and three years of high school football. And after that senior year, well, then no phone calls, no letters, no nothing. He was pretty, uh, pretty down about that, right? I mean, he's, he's the only thing he ever wanted to do in life was play football. And he was, he was pretty good at it. But he, during that process, he had, he had a couple bouts with uh, uh, Oxycontin and this kind of shit. And uh, he got, he got uh, addicted to it, right? Uh, spent uh, years at rehabs and, and this kind of stuff. And then I, uh, and he went, went work for Steve McKinney about, uh, about 10 years ago on the Mac Andrew McKinney. And he worked, he worked there for, I guess about a year and a half. And he was, uh, you know, working his way into the steersman's program, just really loved it. Uh, came on, uh, came home on one of his one of his weeks off, and uh, took something that he wasn't supposed to take that a lot of people are taking right now and dying from. Uh, and he uh, he lost his life about eight eight nine years ago. So I did have one, and uh, and I've got. Uh, Two other girls. Um, one's a beautician, and my youngest is a kindergarten teacher. I've got uh, three grandkids. I've got a 14-year-old granddaughter at Ascension Catholic, and a 13-year-old grandson at Terrebonne Junior High, and uh, and a uh, 10-year-old granddaughter who's who thinks she's going to be the next uh, soccer superstar for the USA. So grandkids are great. They've, uh, they've been, uh, they've been a treat. They really have. Sounds like you'll have plenty of opportunity to fill up some time in your retirement one of these days. Yeah, ho ho hopefully so. They could, uh, I could fill a bunch of my time with it right now. Right. Uh, it's just impossible to make all the football and soccer games and baseball games and uh, my oldest granddaughter, she's a dancer at the school. She's in a band and she plays tennis, right? So uh, every day it's something, right? But that's, that's what it needs to be, you know. Kids, to, uh, particularly in today's world, I mean, kids need to be involved in, uh, in school, school activities, after school activities. And finally, do you have anything to share about maybe the current current shape of the industry and maybe any message for Mariners, young and old, that might be watching this? You know, uh, Tim, back when uh, I first started in this industry, uh, I think I was making $3 an hour, Okay. Uh, deckhands, I think we're making $18 a day. Pilots and captains, <clears throat> I, I don't know, $75 a day, maybe something like that. It was, it's, it's, you know, in the 45 years I've been in here, it, it's really evolved for the better. Okay. Every year. It was a known fact people were going to, people were going to die. And, and, and uh, you know, a mariner was going to die. Quite a few mariners were going to die every year. You don't see that anymore. 
okay? Uh, safety came into play. Pay came into play. It's just evolved for the better. It's turned into a respectable industry. Uh, for when I first started, it was, you know, I was considered a river rat, right? Uh, you got to watch those river rats, okay? You come across that levee, they don't tell them what they're going to do. <laughs> they're going to steal all your stuff, and uh, there's just nothing but trouble. It's not like that anymore. And it's because it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's evolved in, in a good way. It's turned into a good industry. It, it's, there are meaningful careers out being a, a, an inland marine mariner today where you can raise a family. Uh, and you can enjoy the finer things of white, uh, in life. And it, it's, you got to work for it, right? Uh, you just show up, punch a clock, and go home every day. Well, um, that's just what you're going to do for the rest of your career, right? If you're going to put in uh, the effort and 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 uh, get creative and, and and support the leaders that that have good visions, everybody in this industry has a uh, has a chance to uh, to do really well, make really good money. Uh, and enjoy the finer things in life. So it, it, you know, I was, I was, I'm happy to see that. And it, you know, the, the mariners out there, what they do, they deserve every single penny that they get. Uh, the captains, the guys on the deck, the, 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 the people that are cleaning the barges, repairing the barges, uh, replacing the shore wires, dispatching, crew dispatching, uh, ain't one of us better than all of us, okay? And, and it takes a good team to, uh, uh, to be successful, for your business to be successful. It, it is 100% people-driven. You've got the right people, you're going to be successful. Uh, biggest asset, no question, every, any company has on this river is, is the people. It's not the boats, not the barges, it's, it's 100% the people that helps this machine work uh, 24 hours a day, uh, 365 days a year, without a doubt. And they earn every penny that they make. Because I've done it all. I've done it all, I know how hard it is, I, I know it takes. Uh, to put in, it, it's a it's a good industry, and you could you could make a career out of it, a respectful career out of it. And back in the day, you couldn't. Have you heard of the maritime throwdown? <sighs> Probably, I've heard that term. Uh, remind me what that is. Uh, Kenny Brown, one of the fleet pilots in Houston, uh, one of Ingram's, well, they acquired Cheryl Kay. So since that point, he's been with us. But uh, he's running a, a maritime, he calls it Ninja Warrior for towboaters. Mm -hmm. He holds he holds regional competitions, of, and it's it's line throwing. It's, it's deckhand right, activity. Right. Typically, uh, you do that every year in Paducah, right, or something like well, that. He's, it, he's got his finals tournament lined up at IMAX in Nashville this year. Okay. All right. And that's what that hat represents with the cavil? Yes, sir. 
is one of my uh, one of my sponsors here on the show. Okay, outstanding. Well, I need but a hat like that. I'm sure we can line you up one. <laughs> but uh, but I'm I'm too old to throw lines. Now well, back I'm... in the day, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, climb up a ladder out of the bottom of a barge with no hands with a hundred pound sack of grain on your shoulder or an oxygen bottle. Uh, yeah, things you won't see today. I can promise you that. <laughs> This right here is about all I'm qualified to lift myself. So I, <laughs> I don't mess with it. I, I work right there during the day and right here, yeah. I'm off time. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, nonetheless, Terrence, thank you very much for your time today. I do hope finally to maybe catch you on a golf course. I can I can uh, carry your clubs for you because if I'm hitting balls, we're chasing them down. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we do a lot of that too. It, it, uh, again, the golf is it's not how good you score. It's the, you know, those are one of the few escapes for me, right? That's a two hour at a time. I can play golf and, and hopefully forget about work if my uh, phone doesn't ring, right? Check it at the turn. But uh, yeah, it's a getaway and, and just a camaraderie with uh, particularly with people in the industry. It's, it's uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff happens on a golf course with people in this industry. And look, thanks for, for the invite. And it was uh it was my pleasure to talk to you, and uh, it's good to see you again, bud. Thanks a lot, sir. Talk to you Night. soon. Thank you.